Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damon here with my co-host, Matt. David is off this week, uh, so just going to be Matt and I. We got a bunch of Cardinals news, um, a president of baseball operations stepping down, a couple, the last couple manager hired or have been hired, and uh, the World Series breakdown that has so far been through two games. Game three is on as we're recording this on Tuesday, but how are you doing, Matt? doing pretty good uh, i uh had a great day yesterday because the because uh, my college football team that i'm obsessed with fired their coach which was a long time coming and uh yeah i've been uh, been doing good uh, today uh just been hanging out watching the world series uh as we record and um, enjoying enjoying that uh, the Phillies are up two to nothing right now but we'll talk a little bit more about the World Series here in a little bit later but uh but yeah everything's going good how about yourself I'm doing uh I'm doing all right you know had a, uh, a pretty decent weekend as well just uh hanging out watched a lot of um watched a lot of football watched the World Series and then uh watched Ross Chastain absolutely just go nuclear and hold it wide open while grabbing fifth gear against the wall during the NASCAR race on Sunday which was insane um so that was pretty fun but you had a pretty good day today as well with the NFL trade deadline getting uh Dolphins getting Bradley Chubb it's a pretty yeah, big Jeff deal too. yeah well that's not as big of a deal not but... as big as deal as Bradley Chubb but, but Bradley still, Chubb, yeah still nice <laughs> yeah but yeah but uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and stick to uh, stick to baseball. We'll jump in with the, the bunch of Cardinals news that happened um, this past week. Um, so first off, we'll go ahead and start with Adam Wainwright uh, has announced that he will actually be returning for 2023 um, and announcing that this will be his final season. Uh, he signed a one-year $17.5 million deal. $10 million of that is deferred, and there is some incentives uh, based on you know, how many starts he gets, but big, uh, big add back to that Cardinals, uh, rotation. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, Adam Wainwright, I, I, he didn't, I don't think he had quite the year he had in 2021, but a lot of that was luck based. Um, he actually had the exact same fit as he did in 2021, uh, which is pretty impressive, but, um, he's kind of this guy who at this stage is still a good pitcher, uh, that, you know, he's going to run an upper mid to upper threes ERA typically at this stage. But, uh, you know, he's still have he's still been very, very solid the last couple of years. He is going to be age 41 next year. Uh, so definitely an ageless wonder. Um, but I mean, I, you know, uh, the terms on this deal, um, what were 17.5 million? It, I mean, it, it might be a little bit high. Um, well, ten million of it's deferred as well. So yeah, yeah, I guess you know the seven point five for next year would be perfectly fine for a forty year old, forty one year old pitcher with his resume uh, and his recent you know history. But uh, you know, seventeen point five in total, eventually deferring it even is a little high, I think, for a forty one year old pitcher coming off a three seventy one ERA season. But he still threw almost two hundred innings. He's been durable the last couple years and. I mean, he means a lot to St. Louis. I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised he's not retiring with uh, Molina and Pujols. But, uh, you know, he's going to be a big piece for them next year. And, and he's definitely going to be in that rotation day one. So, uh, you know, we'll see what he's able to do at age 41. It's been impressive to watch him the last couple of years, you know, continue to pitch at a high level. Yeah, I wonder how much him coming back has to do with him not being able to or him not pitching this postseason. Um, cause he pretty much said after that, that had left a sour taste in his mouth. 
And I wonder if he was able to pitch in that series um, and had that one final go there, if he might have stepped out with the other two. But uh, getting him back into that rotation, at least, he's a guy, like you said, he's durable. He means a lot to that clubhouse, to this team. Um, he's a solid innings eater, will get you close to 200 innings, and you know pretty much what you're going to get. You're going to get that mid-three to high-three ERA, and he's just going to be a, an overall solid pitcher. But, you know, staying with their news, they did also announce that hitting coach Jeff Albert will not be returning as long with pitching coach uh, Mike Maddox will also not be returning. And then probably the biggest news of it all, uh, Nolan Arenado decided to opt into the rest of his five-year $144 million deal. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by the two, uh, the pitching coach and the hitting coach not coming back. Um, they both, uh, at least Mike Maddox for sure, has a, has a really good reputation. Uh, but, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of... I, I don't know. It's kind of surprising. I mean, St. Louis, you know, they, they had a they had a very good offensive team this year for the most part. Um, you know, they were fourth in, in offense, uh, you know, based on fan graphs numbers. Um, they were fifth in runs scored on the season. Um, you know, they had good approach at the plate. They, they were pretty, pretty good in the strikeout department and they, and they walked a pretty decent amount. Um, I don't really understand. I, I mean, and it might also been a mutual too. Uh, I don't fully understand that. And then, and then on the pitching side where, you know, I, I just, I mean, I, if I'm sure it's mutual in some ways, but I don't understand wanting to move on for Mike Maddox. I mean, you know, part of St. Louis's problem was their pitching staff, but I mean, just talent wise, I just don't think they have talent there. Like it's more of more on the front office to me than it is on pitching coach and pitching development in the, at the major league level for them. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure that they've got guys in mind that they probably want to go after that are different. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't really know. You know, it's, it's kind of sometimes sometimes when it, when it comes to baseball and when it comes to, uh, you know, any, any professional sport, it's really t- difficult to tell if assistants, you know, like, like hitting coach, pitching coach, or, you know, if you talk about other sports like coordinators or, or whatever, like it's, it's really difficult to tell what's, if it's their fault or if it's, uh, you know, the overall talent level from the front office or they don't see eye to eye, it's just hard to tell. So uh, they definitely are going to have new voices. And then, and then on the Nolan Arenado thing, I was really surprised that he opted into this contract. Um, he, he had like an insane year this year. Uh, that was, you know, I mean, it was an MVP level season. He actually finished point one or behind, uh, you know, being the best player in the in the National League behind Manny Machado when it comes to war. Um, obviously, fantastic defensive player. You know, sometimes when your defense is a carrying statistic, that that can be a little bit less uh, uh, lucrative on the free agent market just because it doesn't age as well. You know, but, you know, his offense, he had the best offensive season of his career this year, a 151 WRC+. Plus. His strikeout rate was only 11%. Uh, walked a lot more than he has most of his career. He was very, very, very good this year at the plate. And, um, you know, five years, 144. I feel like he probably could have beaten that on the free agent market. But he is going to be 32 next year. So I, I'm sure some teams might have had a little bit of hesitation on 
you know, five years, one four, or on a, on a huge contract. But I definitely feel like he could have beaten that. I, I, he just probably just likes and then St. Louis and likes being a Cardinal. So uh, probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, it does. He pretty much said that St. Louis, when he got traded, there was one of the places that he, you know, he had a no trade clause when he got traded. And he picked to go to St. Louis. He said that he's felt he's felt at home with that team. And I mean, if you look at it, it's an average of about twenty nine million dollars a year. He probably could have got a couple more million dollars per year on the free agent market and maybe a couple extra years. But I wouldn't be surprised. We've seen the Cardinals, you know, take care of their guys. I wouldn't be surprised that if a couple years down the road, if they want to lock up Arenado to an extension, that that will be too hard to do. And that he'll get probably right around the same value, maybe slightly less there. But I mean, it just it felt like I, I didn't know if how much more he'd get on the free agent market. I felt like he might do a slightly bigger deal. But overall, I, I just think he wanted to stay in St. Louis. And it's I thought that was always the likely scenario. It is weird to have the hitting coach and the pitching coach after the success they had this year. And actually, their bullpen coach was another one that is uh, not returning to the staff. They said he'll be reassigned somewhere within the organization. Um, so that's really the, the bullpen and the pitching coach, you know, that bullpen was really good this year as well. Um, so having those three not really returning is, is a little weird, but it could also be um, Ollie Marmol wanting to put more of his in, you know, imprint on the staff. Cause I feel a lot of those were, were carryovers from the Mike Schilt days. Um, so maybe it's, it's him wanting to bring his own people on. But it was a, a big week for the for the Arizona car or not Arizona Cardinals the uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, but we'll go ahead and stay in that division and jump over to the Milwaukee Brewers, who had their president of baseball operations, David Stern, uh, step down this week. Uh, Matt Arnold has been promoted to replace him, but David Stern has been a hot commodity around teams in the last couple years, wanting to you know purge him over to their teams, uh, as the Brewers usually lack the resources to to put a you know a gigantic chunk into the team and uh, it always been rumored that he'd go somewhere else but it's pretty surprising to see him step down while he still has a year of control with the Brewers yeah I thought it was very interesting um, I think that there's a couple things that this signifies first thing is I, I think he might have just been not super excited to be there um, you know at this point uh, it is difficult with Milwaukee right now resources they're working with I think there was some frustration um, from just that organization in general, with, uh, probably with ownership, but also with the players on the team with, with that trade at the at the uh, deadline with trading away Hater. I know the team was really unhappy about that. Um, it really upset their clubhouse, and I think that there's probably a lot of you know maybe maybe a little animosity about that going around. But um, you know, and, and then. I don't know much about Matt Arnold, obviously promoting from within, um, you know, it, it, there's not a ton there, but uh, this, it, this is an interesting time for the Brewers, because if you look at them, they, they could be maybe going into a rebuild soon. Christian Yelich is on a really, really big contract for not really doing all that well. Uh, their best player right now is Willie Adamas, who is really good. But, you know, he's kind of a power-only shortstop that's a good defensive shortstop. Um, and, I mean, other than that, they don't really have any stars. They just kind of got a bunch of decent players. And then their pitching staff with Corbin Burns, Dave Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta are really, really good when they stay healthy for a full season. But, 
it's the team that they don't have a lot of resources. Some of those guys are going to be coming up for extensions somewhat soon, like Willie Adamas. He's going to be coming more, ex more expensive in arbitration, and you know he's got two years of control. Actually, I think he might have signed a, signed a deal locked up through arbitration, but he's only got two years of control left. Um, you know, some of their guys they kind of mixed and mixed and matched, like like Hunter Renfro, uh, probably won't be around super, you know, long term. He might even be a free agent. Uh, I don't even know honestly. Uh, looks like 2024, he's a free agent, so um, he's ARB eligible one more year, and he's probably going to get an ARB raise. So it, it's you know, and then I think it's possible that they can maybe look to trade some some major league pieces soon, and this might be signifying that they might be looking at you know, a way to go into more of a rebuilding phase. Their farm system's pretty mediocre. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they started to go into a little bit of a rebuild and get a, getting ahead of it a little bit more. So uh, we'll see what happens there. It's going to be an interesting offseason for Milwaukee, though. Yeah, I mean, there's already been, you know, just some slight rumblings that ever since this move kind of happened that maybe they would look into trading a guy like Woodruff. Um, who I think he's has two years left of free or two or three years left of control. I think he's free agent in 2025. Um, you know, there's been rumors that that might be something that could happen. And you mentioned, you know, some of the other people like Adamus and Renfro, if they were, um, you know, potentially be flipped already as well. So it, it is kind of weird. It is in that, that, that weird phase where it kind of feels like they should rebuild and this would be the off season to do it is Arnold's taking over. Um, Cause you know, David Stearns probably wasn't going to initiate the rebuild and it's been widely rumored that after his contract was up, he was going to be leaving anyways. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team try and figure something out to get him in there earlier than next season or earlier than next off season, I should say. Uh, but it's going to be a really, really weird patch for the brewers going forward in the next couple of years to see where they really take the, this direction of the team long-term. Cause like you mentioned, they have some pieces on that team that can get them a good return. The farm system isn't that great right now would be a good time to kind of pounce on the value that those players still have and get you some good players in that farm system to, to help you move forward since you, uh, you can't run as high payroll as other teams. Yeah. The one, the one problem with that is that, it's a situation where that division is still so winnable. It's hard to trade away pieces because, I mean, the Reds are still going to be bad next year. The Pirates are still going to be bad next year. The Cardinals are going to probably be about the same. And then you look at the, the Cubs and kind of who knows. It, they have a lot of holes to fill, but they, they theoretically could, could compete next year a little bit. But, I mean, that division is still really bad. So it's hard to trade away from a roster that won 86 games when, when it's really a winnable division. So – We'll see. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, absolutely. But let's jump over to the American League Central now, and we'll start with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, just hired, hired their manager, former Rays bench coach Matt Quattaro. Um, he also worked in Cleveland with uh, Terry Francona for a little while. Seems to be widely regarded, um, you know, around the league as a as a guy who connects to younger players, um, and he's going to be the new guy ushering in that young core in uh, in Kansas City. Well, I, I don't. I know very, very little about um, about Matt Quattaro, but um, or Quattaro. I'm not exactly sure how to say his last name, but he. Um, I do think that the Royals are moving into a, a, a good direction here. Um, they are really. 
they're really wanting to move a little bit more into analytics and kind of a more of a you know money ball style new new era type of front office. Um, it's when they got rid of Dayton Moore and Mike Matheny, that really old school guys, and I think that's something that really needed to happen for the Royals cause just because of their payroll being so low and being a smaller market team, not being able to pay as much as other teams can. And uh, I, I think this is a, this should be a pretty good move. I mean, he comes from a he's got a good background at least. His pedigree's good. He's come from successful franchises under very very good managers. Um, so. You know, and, and franchises that, that, quite frankly, are in very similar types of, you know, markets and how they have to be to be successful as what Kansas City is. Like, you know, Cleveland and, and Tampa Bay are very, you know, they're, they're also small market teams. They're the ones that have been successful. So bringing some of that experience in should be good for them. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know too, too much about him. It's not like he has a super long history as a manager that we can go into, but... Uh, I'm a, you know, I, I think that it's probably a good move from the Royals. Yeah. These, these first time managers, it's pretty hard to, to get a lot of the background and, and kind of know exactly what their tendencies and stuff will be. But like you mentioned, he's come from two organizations that have had plenty of success recently with the, the guardians and the rays. And he's come from two managers who've had a really, you know, good career. Kevin cash. I mean, he's consistently in the manager of the year running, and is one of the best managers with the team in the race who has the lack and lack of talent there. And then you talk about Terry Francona, who is widely regarded as one of the best, if not the best manager in baseball. And he's been for what, 20 years or something like that. Like he always finds a way in, to connect with the players. And Matt Cotaro has been with both of those guys. I, I think it's a great fit with, with the Royals. It'll be interesting to see what that process looks like moving forward with him and, and, and what they, if they do transition to more of that um, kind of money ball style, because um, the Royals have been aggressive at times. Um, but it, it, with this young core, they kind of need somebody that's going to help connect and get, get more to that analytical side. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, what he is able to do moving forward in that role. But Talk, you know, staying with the Royals kind of theme, the White Sox hired the Royals bench coach or former bench coach Pedro Grifolo as their new manager uh, this past week. And it was actually the last manager spot that we had open um, so far. Yeah. So um, I thought this was interesting. Um, I don't know. It's another one that it's just kind of hard to tell um, how, you know, with, with a guy like Grifol, um it's hard to tell with these first-time managers, but I mean, he he's coming from the the old school part of the uh, of the uh, of the Royals organization. It feels like I mean, he's somebody that was there with Matheny. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you know he's going to a place that probably needs a little bit more of a you know, a little bit more analytically minded, you know, there he's going to a place he's replacing probably the most old school manager ever. And a guy who really had a hard time connecting with players. Um, I think the white Sox, they, I feel like the white Sox either needed somebody, they needed some, some youth and energy there. And we'll see if this guy brings it. Um, you know, I definitely think, um, I definitely think that this was a move that, I, I don't. I don't necessarily trust the White Sox to make the right move with their front office and management, but 
uh, we'll see what happens here. So, yeah, the problem that I have with this move is last week it was like right before the World Series started. It was rumored that Joe Espada, who is the the Astros bench coach, was in line to take the the White Sox job, and that it was just going to be announced after the World Series was over. Right? They didn't want it to be a, a distraction to the to the team or whatever at the time. And I believe that was on Thursday or Friday um, of last week. And then all of a sudden you start hearing that, oh, well, now they're interviewing. They re-interviewed Ozzy Guillen and they're bringing in these other guys. And then now out of nowhere, it kind of seemed like uh, Griefel kind of got the last day or two. His name was floated out there and then he got hired today. And then it immediately came out that they were keeping most of the coaches on staff. Like the pitching coach was was already expected to be back. I believe the hitting coach was already supposed to be back. And I believe one other coach I, I saw, I could be wrong, was also expected to be retained. So what it kind of felt like to me was Espada wanted to come in and make a bunch of changes. And then the White Sox were like, oh, well, well, well. And then it seems like they got somebody who would stay OK with keeping a lot of the current staff on hand. Uh, or something which it, it kind of leads into the point you're saying i don't trust the white Sox to get this right and if all of that stuff is true then it really makes you question if he was the first choice which it doesn't seem like he was and what that kind of looks like with the staff and if he's going to end up being a, a quicker fall guy um, if things don't go right there um, there's a lot of questions around the hire of griefel after the past kind of what's happened since like Thursday or Friday of last week already. Yeah. And you got to remember two other things in that he, he's been on the staff for the Royals for a long time. So it's not like he was in other really good organizations and then went to Kansas city for a year for a promotion. And then they want to bring him on. Like he's been in that organization a long time, which has been a very, it's, it's been a very, you know, behind the curve. If I guess the way to put it organization, and then you're bringing them in to a place that seems to have been a seems to currently be behind the behind the curve when it comes to like you know modern baseball you know analytics modern baseball um, strategy just and how the game is currently played and um, and then you know you kind of are talking about how uh, you know you talk about Joe Espada and you know but but the fact that they that the, the Royals didn't retain this guy as their manager kind of is telling too. I mean, this guy was on the Royals staff. So, uh, they went, they went outside higher for their guy. And, um, you know, that I thought it was interesting that, you know, the Royals didn't, who, who know this guy as good as anybody didn't hire him, but the White Sox did. I thought it was kind of an interesting thing too, but, but you know what, you, you, until you give a guy a shot, you know, you gotta be fair to him. So, you know, it, we'll see what happens. It's not, you, you never know how a certain guy might do in a certain role and, and he, maybe he fits that franchise. Well, who, who knows, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely felt better about the Royals hire than the White Sox hire. Yeah. It, it, it just seemed a little weird with how everything happened the past, like four or five days around that White Sox job. But um, you know, you got to give him a chance and hopefully that, you know, for the White Sox sake that he's able to connect with that team better and, that you know bring keeping those coaches on it helps the clubhouse some because uh, it seems like they're going to have some turnover um, in that roster anyways this offseason but jumping over to the world series so we'll talk about really the two games that have happened so far it really should have been game three um, or been three games but game three ended up getting postponed to today um, due to rain and actually it's a, a four nothing lead 
uh, with the Phillies right now in the top of the third. But let's go ahead and start with game one. Uh, you know, the Houston Astros jumped out to well, it was a five nothing lead on Aaron Nola in the first two innings. And it seemed like it was going to be all Houston. I mean, it was well, no, they scored two in the second, three in the third. Um, and they had Justin Verlander on the mound with a five nothing lead. And Philadelphia came storming back, got three in the fourth, two in the fifth, and then ended up going to extra innings. Yeah, so game one was pretty crazy. Um, it was it was a great game. Um, you know, like you said, the Astros jumped out real quick in that game. Uh, I think they scored, like they hit three doubles in a row to start the game or something. Or, but that might have been game two. They that jumped out two. to a big lead. Okay, they jumped out at a big lead in both the first two games. But, yeah, they really, really hit Nola and, and Wheeler in game two very well. And uh, they got up to um, – you know, they got up five to nothing and the Phillies found a way to kind of scratch and claw their way back. Um, interesting note there, Justin Verlander pitched game one and he is still winless in the World Series. I know we don't like wins as a stat, but, you know, out, out of the amount of times he's pitched in the World Series, it's kind of hard to believe he's never, you know, won a game. He also has an ERA north of six in the World Series, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. Um but, uh, you know, the game got tied up. Then the bullpens both took over and did fantastic till to extra innings where the, you know, the, the JT Real Muto hit a, hit a very Minute Maid Park home run <laughs> yeah. that barely got over the right field wall on a line drive with an exit velocity under 100, uh, which is pretty crazy. But, um, but then, of course, the, uh, you know, the, the, that, that ended up being the game winner. The, the Astros got a couple guys on in the bottom of the inning and, you had a weird play at the end where Aledmus Diaz <laughs> kind of like obviously leaned into a pitch and he kind of did it twice, but the first one still missed him. And then the second one, he definitely leaned into and I, he got called out for that. I really did not understand why he was leaning into a pitch there anyways, because there was second and third, which the winning run was on second for the Astros. So like, does he just not want to be at the plate? in a win game winning situation he had to count in his favor like just swing the bat man I, I don't get it it's not like and it's not like Jordan Alvarez or somebody was on deck it was like Chaz McCormick was on deck or something so I did not understand why he would lean into a pitch there and try to get hit it, it made zero sense to me unless he just had zero confidence he was gonna get a hit but uh the Phillies ended up winning game one uh game two uh, you know I think uh Wheeler got really knocked around and the Phillies couldn't come back the Framber Valdez is really, 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 really good. So uh, nine strikeouts, I believe, in game two. Only gave up one run. Uh, the Phillies, I think they added a run late in the game, but uh, it ended up being a, a Astros win in game two. So the series one-to-one playing tonight right now. It is four to nothing in the third inning. So if anything we've seen this postseason, uh, four to nothing is not an insurmountable lead, but the Phillies are – you know, obviously in the driver's seat right now, um, and uh, in, in game in game three, and, and and if they win that one, you know they would be leading two to one in the series. So, yeah, it's it's been a really interesting World Series so far. In game one, too, it was came out during game two that Martin Maldonado had used a bat that Albert Pujols had sent him that was technically outlawed, so he was actually using a a uh, an illegal bat in game one, which I thought was pretty funny um but in game two you mentioned wheeler just didn't look like himself it didn't even seem like he had the the velocity there um seemed like it was down a, a mile per hour or two 
Um, they just jumped all over him. And then there was a weird play. I want to say it was in the eighth inning. Um, well, not weird play, but Schwarber hit one that they called a homer, but then it was foul by like a couple feet actually. And then like the next pitch, he hit it right to the right field wall and Kyle Tucker like took it out of the first row, um, which would have, would have gave them, I think it was a, uh, I think it would have made the game five, three at that time. So I think it was a two run, uh, would have been a two run homer. Um, but it, that, that kind of seemed to take the Phillies were making a run there late. Uh, they got a run in the seventh. That would have gave them two in the eighth. They ended up getting one in the ninth, uh, but it kind of seemed to take the wind out of their sails a little bit um, on the comeback attempt. But, you know, mentioned Fernando Valdez. I mean, he had like what, 25 straight quality starts this year. I mean, he's a guy who they mentioned last year had two world series appearances and couldn't get out of the third inning in either one and gave up five. And I believe, I believe one of them was five runs and the second one was six runs. Um, or they were both five runs. Um, so a guy who had really struggled last year in the World Series or in the postseason, and then um, you know he's come back this year. It's been amazing, and then to step up into the World Series after you've already had your ace and Verlander struggle in Game One, and he really picked put that staff on his back, um, you know, and gave them what six and a third, four hit, one run innings. I mean, that was a, that was a really big performance for them. Um, you know, and the Phillies. I mean, it's kind of been the same story. I mean, they're a hit or miss team. You know, they need Nola and Wheeler to really carry them. They haven't. They've really struggled so far. Ranger Schwartz has pitched a really good game so far um, in game three, but we'll talk more about that on next week's episode. Uh, what I did find interesting, though, is that they are going to use Aaron Nola tomorrow night in game four. Um, and then they said they'll depend on who's going to be the game five starter after that, if it will be Noah Syndergaard or if they would um, go to Wheeler, I believe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if if the Astro, I mean, if the Phillies are up three to one after after tomorrow, then I would imagine that they would probably go to um, they would probably go to Cindergard and get Wheeler an extra day of rest since he had a really little bit of a rough outing in, in game two, and, and like you said, his velocity might have been down a tick, uh, you know, and and they might try to hope that that kind of helps him out. Uh, now, if it's a you know two-two where that that you know that game game five is really the game to win that that swing game, uh, or if you're down to you know three to one, then in game five, then you have to go to Wheeler. You have to pitch your best guy. You know that's the biggest game of the year at that point. But if you go up three-one, you have the luxury of probably throwing Cindergard, and and that way you, when Wheeler does pitch, he's guaranteed to pitch in a closeout game. And if he does pitch, he's a hundred percent because you don't want to go throw you don't want to throw Wheeler out there in game five if he's not a hundred percent. And when you could have probably waited an extra day because you know I, I don't want to say game five would be a throwaway because I think you always in the postseason try to win every game, but it's not desperation elimination time or extremely important swing game time at that point like. Uh, but I, I think that that's interesting that, you know, how that might play out. Uh, I think that the rain out yesterday probably helps the Phillies because I think they were going to have to pitch Syndergaard yesterday and Suarez today. And I don't know how well that would have gone, but that kind of backed it up to where they could throw Nola and Wheeler again to kind of help get them ahead in this series going back if it, if it either win it in Philly or, or go back to Houston. So I think that really helps the Phillies that they had that rain out yesterday and they could get their guys back to where they could throw again before uh, without having to use Cinder guard as a starter. Um, so we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. 
Uh, and of course, tonight, you know, this game's obviously not over. So we could be sitting here tomorrow thinking something entirely different from what we're thinking about right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we just mentioned that the the you know Astros had a five nothing lead in the third inning of game one, and they ended up losing that game six five. And it's third inning, and it's four nothing Phillies right now. So, I mean, that it, it's definitely not over, but. Part of me wonders if you don't, if you're in that situation for as the Phillies in a three-one, if you don't want to throw Wheeler at home, because I don't know if you've looked at Wheeler's home road splits this year, but it's pretty drastic. He is so far in 2022 at home in 78 innings. I mean, I know we don't love ERA, but he's a 185 ERA guy with a 188 batting average against and a 290 slugging. And if you go to the road in 75 innings, so really only a three-inning gap. He's a 384 ERA guy, a 253 average, and a 412 slugging. So yeah. he seems yeah, to gonna... really be a lot better at home. So I wonder if you're in that game five, if you don't say, hey, let's first of all, let's just try and shut it down in Philadelphia, but also let's use the Wheeler start at home where he's been a lot better this season. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think if he had a good outing in game two, I, I, would, I would 100% believe that you think the same way it's just you know he didn't look like himself and i feel like i mean would game game four or game five would be would that be short rest too i don't think so because it was regular rest saturday yeah so it would have been regular rest because i believe it'd be it'd be thursday Um, now it would have been wednesday so i mean that backing it up really does help him be on full rest for for uh, yeah. game five, I think if, if it was going to go regular, he would have been the game six starter had it got right. to there. Um, but it, because it would have been the extra day of rest, but now it opens up that he could be on regular rest at home. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I would probably, I mean, if on regular rest and I mean, I, I would probably try to throw him, but man, it's, it's it's a tough decision just because I don't know how he's feeling. I don't know how like what the deal was with game two. Like if he wasn't feeling a hundred percent, I definitely feel like you might give him that extra day. But if he was a hundred percent, if he if he was just had a rough outing or his mechanics were a little off or he was tipping or something, they think they could they don't think it's going to happen again. Then I think you one hundred percent throw him in game five. It's just it's it's just hard to it's hard to say honestly without you know knowing the the details of how he's feeling, but, uh, definitely, uh, I'm definitely on the side of, you know, when you have a chance to close a team out, throw the guy who gives you the best chance to close them out on that day. Like I would not just save him because you can, like I would save him. If you feel, I would wait to pitch him. If you feel like he's not a hundred percent, you might, you know, an extra day might make him pitch better, but I wouldn't, I would, I would throw him as soon as you feel like he's ready. So, yeah. Makes sense. But uh, looking at the schedule just for the rest of the World Series, um, obviously Game 3 is happening today on Tuesday the 1st. Uh, game 4 will be Wednesday the 2nd. Game 5 will be Thursday the 3rd. Um, Friday will be an off day. Game 6 will be Saturday the 5th. And then Game 7, if necessary, um, well, Game 6 or and 7, or if necessary, um, will be on Sunday, November 6th. So no matter what, by the next time we record, we will have who's the winner of the world series. So that's going to be really, really interesting, really fun. Um, and then we'll jump into, you know, the off season, uh, the off season episodes and get ready for all of what's about to be, um, 
you know, it's about to be a, a wild and crazy off season, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Batflip podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks guys.